Afternoon and welcome to episode number 387 of Holy Crap It Sports. Yeah, three days in a row we're doing these. And of course, we did the college football one yesterday and today uh, mainly stuff, well, again, about college football, but NFL and baseball news. A lot of breaking baseball stuff going out today. And uh, we'll talk about that. I am Pete Davis, your host, coming to you from the uh, Sandy Springs Podcast Center in Laundromat. Located in sunny Atlanta, GA, or just north of there. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One. If you want to write a letter, Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com. If you'd like to be a patron, Patreon.com, P A T R E O N. Just look up Holy Crap at Sports, or you can just write me at uh, Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com and I'll tell you how to use Zelle if you'd like to keep the show going. Appreciate that. Uh, what else? Oh, t shirts, farmhouseprintingco.com for Holy Crap at Sports t shirts. So check it out. All right, let's get to it here. we got the headlines for Wednesday, January 12th of 2022. Uh, the dogs are still reveling in their victory, and ESPN's L. Duncan wants none of that talk about being gracious winners. We'll hear from the Georgia graduate, and she had a lot to say. What bulldog may end up being drafted by the Falcons? Poor bastard. Georgia keeps winning and recruiting, too. Did David Pollock have the line of the night? on monday night how is there no statue for herschel walker at uga uh i heard about that the other day are you kidding me how can that be the great grandson of bear bryant has had enough of alabama more of the worst 25 quarterbacks in nfl history and today we're going to discuss rick myrer cade mcnown and andre ware the new york giants finally remembered to fire joe judge and there was something i was supposed to do over the weekend oh yeah Boomer Esiason once again proves what a sitting dick he is. One of the dominant lefties of the last 20 years is retiring. A guy that some people said the Braves should look at this year. Pete's tweets this day in sports history, birthdays, all kinds of good stuff. Let's get to it. A little recruiting news that came in uh, later or earlier. <laughs> or both. Keith Farner of Saturday Down South uh, breaking this story for me. Uh, Lawson Lucky is getting in line to hopefully for him be the next great tight end at Georgia. Four-star recruit out of Norcross. He's in the 2023 class, is now committing to Georgia, said he is staying home. He's a homegrown kid. Lucky is six foot three, 225 pounds. He's ranked the number 14 tight end in the 2023 class. Lucky is the ninth commit in that class for UGA, which has the number one ranked class in the Southeastern Conference. Lawson is the son of Mike Lucky, one of three Lucky triplets to play for the Dogs during the 90s. Mike suited up alongside Kirby Smart from 1996 to 98, so a legacy. Kind of like uh, Animal House, <laughs> Dorf, Dorfman or whatever. So Georgia is national champion, and fans have two choices now. Breed gracious winners or show your butt. Now, being Southerners, we mostly would pick the former, being gracious and nice people. Our mamas raised us right. But after putting up with fellow Southerners from Alabama for all of our lives, some Bulldogs fans are having none of that, including UGA alumnus and ESPN anchor L. Duncan, who appeared on the Paul Feinbaum show on the SEC Network. Now, she's been on there a few times in the past, and she's like, uh, the, the sore loser, the one that's, that's been crying for months now on Fine Bomb, going, is it worth it? All you people, I wasn't alive when you last won in 1981. Was it worth it to hang on all these years and decades? Is it worth it or should I just give up right now? Well, <clears throat> now that Elle has tasted victory, let me find her here. She has some uh, feelings for those of you who have a problem with her enjoying this. And uh, speaking a little trash... Um, wait a second here. Come on, come on, come on. Here we go. Here we, here we. Okay, here we go. 
getting tweets from people that are saying things like, act like you've been there before and show some grace and like stand out above the rest and like take this humbly. And I would just like to say, shut up. <laughs> shut the hell up. I haven't been here before. I've never seen the Georgia Bulldogs win a national championship. And as such, it is troll tied for as long as I want. Let me have this. This idea that we're supposed to be graceful losers or graceful winners is such a joke, Paul. I'm not a little kid. Save that for your children while they're learning and while they're being reared up. I'm a grown woman. I'm talking all the mess. I want all the smoke. Let's go. Don't let Bulldog fans, these stupid crimson folks tell you that you should feel some kind of way because you finally beat them. Don't let them remind you how many times they beat us. I don't want to hear about any of that today because the truth of the matter is we finally ascended Mount Saban and we are national champions. So talk your mess, Georgia. Go up to a Tide fan. Go up to any Alabama fan you know and say anything that you want. Be petty. Embrace it. We don't know if it'll be another 40 years. Don't take this humbly. Don't act like you've been there before. Talk your mess. <laughs> because I keep getting tweets she's from got that. that are saying things like I mean she's got a point there <clears throat> I think but anyway you can't argue with her because she's L Duncan and frankly she speaks her mind and if you disagree with her she's going to basically yell at you until you acquiesce <laughs> that's just what's going to happen who has the guts to get in front of her right now and you know what at first, I thought, yeah, they should be gracious. Then I thought, you know what? The Alabama fans are telling you to be gracious because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear you bragging. So if you're a Georgia fan, go ahead, brag. You can get away with it this time. And if you beat them again next year, holy cow, uh, they're really going to be upset. If you thought Alabama fans were thin-skinned before, just wait if they go on a losing streak against you, which, you know, may or may not happen. I mean, Nick Saban's still Nick Saban. But still, <clears throat> I can see your point. I can see your point. If people are telling you to be gracious and be humble and act like you've been there before, most of you haven't been there before, <clears throat> excuse me, as she pointed out, and uh, the Alabama fans are just trying to make you shut up so they can go back to beating you next year and then saying they're back on top. Do, do you think the Alabama fans would shut up if they had won? I don't think so. And I'm not picking on you, Alabama. You've been on top of the mountain for a long time. You're just going to have to look up for a season or two or three. We'll see what happens there. Bama receiver Jamison Williams has a torn ACL, yet is expected to make a full recovery, uh, get his speed and agility back. They're going to have surgery. It should not affect his draft status too much at all, they're saying, if at any at all. That's what the experts are saying. Meanwhile, Paul Tyson, the backup quarterback behind Bryce Young, and the great-grandson of Bama legendary coach Paul Bear Bryant has entered the transfer portal. And he's not alone. You'd think the disgruntled Bama players would want at least 24 hours to abandon ship. Kirby Smart's vertical leap has yet to hit the turf, but Bama has seven players entering the transfer portal just a day after losing, including uh, reserve tight end uh, Jalil Billingsley. If you remember all through the season, even before the season, Saban was having words back, basically saying that Billingsley wasn't working very hard. And uh, basically was trying to inspire him to get better, and it inspired him to leave. He had 35 catches for 543 yards, six touchdowns in the last two seasons. He played behind Cameron Latu at the end of the season, though. Other Bama transfer portal entrants include linebacker Drew Sanders, uh, offensive lineman Tommy Brown. He started one game this season. Meanwhile, Georgia had two players enter the portal Tuesday. Defensive back Amir Speed, who started three games and recorded 13 tackles this season. And receiver Jalen Johnson, who had three receptions for 29 yards in 14 games. <clears throat> I don't know why I have a frog in my throat this morning. 
It wasn't like I was yelling the last two days. Meanwhile, some are still talking about former Georgia lineman David Pollock's choice of words before the big game Monday night, saying both Kirby Smart and Nick Saban's booty holes were tight. Let me repeat. Their booty holes were tight. Well, he wasn't lying. Heavy.com is reporting that the Falcons, who have no shortage of options for the eighth overall pick in the draft coming up in a few months, they need a blue-chip pass rusher, a standout guard. They need a, another receiver since Calvin Ridley may never play again. And general manager Terry Fontenot and head coach Arthur Smith have a few choices ahead of them. But most Falcon fans say they want somebody on the defensive front seven or an award-winning linebacker. And that's who they're thinking about. Pro Football Focus has put together a mock draft, and they have a little simulator there at the website. I don't know what that means, but maybe it's just a a Nintendo set, but we'll see. Uh, They've collected the data, and they revealed the most popular players chosen, and most people and their simulator believe that the Falcons should choose Georgia linebacker Nakobe Dean uh, for the draft. For the number eight pick, he got 11% of the vote just ahead of Purdue edge rusher, rusher George Karlaftis and Michigan's pass rusher David Ojabu, who uh, has an interesting story. I saw a little piece on him about going from, I think, Nigeria to Scotland to America. It's pretty amazing. Uh, unless it's not that guy. I think it's that guy. Anyway, uh, he says, surprising enough, the Falcons' most commonly mocked player is Nakobe Dean from other uh, fans as well. So we'll see if the Falcons pick him. I mean, he's a very good player. So, uh, man, their linebackers, I was really impressive the other night, I thought. The whole secondary was. Uh, let's see, the Atlanta defense registered just 18 sacks this season, the lowest in the NFL. And a lack of pressure is pretty much uh, what's done them in uh, on this stuff. Uh, so, the, uh, in fact, here's a quote from a uh, tweet from Michael Rothstein uh, during the Saints-Falcons game. Through three quarters, the Falcons have no sacks. But not only that, the Falcons have yet to register a hit on the quarterback. They really need somebody who can do that. But how many years have we been saying this? And they never seem to address it. Now do they? Uh, Dean may not be the ideal remedy for a feeble pass rush, but his all-around skills would appeal to the Falcons, who seem to like players like him, especially when you got uh, guys like uh, Deion Jones, who seems to be uh, fading a bit. Uh, let's see what else they have to say about this. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's just a bunch of BS talking about the Falcons defense and how much they suck. So anyway, uh, let's see. I think he kind of it. There was something else there about the Falcons, but yeah, Deion Jones, I just mentioned it. Anyway, here come the judge, here come the judge, or there goes the judge. The New York Giants to-do list on Monday was pack the bags for the offseason, get the uniforms to dry cleaning, and uh, what was the the third thing? Uh, oh, yeah, fire head coach Joe Judge. His dismal two-year experiment in drudgery and disaster has ended up there in the Meadowlands, an embarrassment to the highfalutin Giants organization. With the retirement of General Manager Dave Gettleman, another example of this country's love of mediocrity, a new GM was bound to show Judge the door, so good riddance. Joe Judge was 10-23 and 23 and an arrogant SOB. Hey, that rhymes for no reason. Anyway, so the Giants have gotten rid of him, and we'll see what happens there. All right, so with the Steelers season on the line the other night, you'd expect Pittsburgh head coach Mike Tomlin to be watching every play in the Chargers-Raiders game, right? Glued to his TV set. 
Nah. While the rest of Pittsburgh was on the edge of its collective seat watching the Chargers and Raiders Sunday night, Mike Tomlin was asleep. He admitted he did not see the game-winning field goal in overtime uh, by the kicker. It ultimately sent his team to the playoffs. I dozed off, Tomlin said. I knew I had a work day waiting on me, or I assumed I had a work day waiting on me. I think at one point the Raiders were up by 15, and that number made you somewhat comfortable. I'm probably better off not having watched it. <laughs> His blood pressure is. Not the only Steeler who missed the end of the game. Receiver Ray Ray McLeod had some teammates together to watch the game, but they kept rewinding it like we all do. We rewind it and watch things over and over again so we get behind. Uh, the group was behind the live telecast when uh, Carlson's field goal prevented the tie, which put the Steelers into the playoffs. And uh, McLeod says, my little brother called me. He was like, it's rigged, bro. It's rigged. And then he called me back and said, you're good, you're good. <laughs> All the conspiracy theories were abounding. They're trying to keep us out of the, uh, the playoffs. And then, oh, we're in the playoffs. Most people would not want to see. It's kind of torn. <clears throat> we all wanted to see Ben Roethlisberger maybe get one more game. We didn't want him to go out on like a tie from two other teams. But the Steelers are kind of boring, to tell you the truth. But And they've got to play Kansas City. In fact, uh, Roethlisberger said, look, the odds are pretty long that we're going to beat this team, so let's just go out and have a little fun. I expect the Steelers to throw everything in the kitchen sink at the Chiefs. And let's put, let's put it this way. The Chiefs are not the Chiefs from two years ago. They are not unbeatable. They make mistakes now. And uh, Andy Reid seems to have uh, devolved back to his days with the Eagles where he finds ways to blow games. So we'll see. Kansas City should win the game easily, but, you know, Steelers may get uh, all revved up for this and throw a lot of stuff at them. In fact, uh, the Steelers had just a 9% chance to make the playoffs entering the last day of the regular season, according to ESPN's Fowler Fowler Football Index, or otherwise known as the Football Power Index. Uh, let's see. It's a wild card game at Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs are 12 and 5. Just three weeks ago, the Steelers went into KC and got blown out 36 to 10. Hmm. I think uh, it'll be a little closer, but not too close this time. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers says he has not spoken with CBS douchebag Boomer Esiason over Boomer's erroneous report saying a trusted source told him that Rodgers was planning to boycott the Super Bowl if Green Bay got there to protest the NFL's China virus policy. There was a time we could trust so-called journalists or others with their anonymous sources, but no more. Nobody is Woodward and Bernstein anymore. 99% of the time, these guys are making it up. It's total BS and just about everything that comes out of Boomer Science's mouth. And, and look, I, I enjoyed watching him play with Maryland, and I enjoyed watching him play with Cincinnati, but... Uh, I never really have cared for him as a broadcaster. I uh, just don't think he's all that good. And now we find out he's either incredibly wrong or he's lying about something or he's just making stuff up. It, it could be one of those. I don't know. Meanwhile, store, uh, sportsdrop.com goes on with their list of 25 worst quarterbacks all time in the NFL. We're in the stretch run here. And we'll start off today with Rick Myrer. The legendary Niners coach Bill Walsh was right about a lot of things during his time in the league. But his evaluation of Notre Dame QB Myra was not one of them. After observing Myra during his college days, Walsh boldly called him the second coming of Joe Montana. He wasn't alone. Uh, the Seahawks took him at number two in the 93 draft. Started all 16 games as a rookie. Set rookie records in several uh, categories. But his record-setting rookie season wasn't nearly as impressive as it sounds. If you dig deeper, you see he threw for just 12 touchdowns and tossed 17 interceptions. He strung together a few more mediocre seasons in Seattle, 
traded to the Bears. He retired after the 4 season, played for seven teams, threw 50 touchdowns and 76 interceptions. Another in the long list of just overrated Notre Dame quarterbacks. Then you have Cade McNown. Now, I missed it on Cade McNown. I remember watching him play in Miami. I remember him watching him play a game. I think he was up against Edger and James of the Hurricanes. And the game kept going back and forth. And Cade McDown, who was a lefty, he, he looked like Joe Montana. He looked like Steve Young is what he looked like. And I thought, this guy, this guy, he's a little short. But I think this guy's going to really impress some people in the NFL. Unfortunately for Cade McNown, he was drafted by the Bears, and that's a very hard place to play quarterback because of the weather and everything else. But McNown put up video game numbers during his time at UCLA. He totaled 56 touchdowns his last two years compared to just 17 turnovers. He broke a lot of Pac-10 records. He's the only UCLA quarterback to go 4-0 and against the Trojans. Uh, that's pretty good. Bears picked him number 13 in 1999. Two seasons there, he started 15 games. He threw 16 TDs and 19 interceptions. Had to get this, 14 fumbles. Which says to me, he had little hands. He was traded after two years to Miami. Never played another down in the NFL. Uh, he had an attitude that some people said was like a mini Ryan Leaf. He's widely regarded as one of the worst draft picks in the history of Chicago. Wow. Uh, Andre Ware, a uh, pretty good broadcaster, by the way, does uh, analyze, analyzation, if that's a word for games. And the run-and-shoot system by Houston back in the early 90s, he threw for over 46. He was one yard shy of 4,700, 44 touchdowns as a junior, set 26 NCAA records, won the Heisman Trophy, was the uh, poster child for NFL teams becoming wary of run-and-shoot quarterbacks. <laughs> Uh, between 1990 and 99, he played for seven teams in the NFL, CFL, and NFL Europe. Barely got off the bench in the NFL in four seasons, completed just 83 passes for five touchdowns. The unique distinction of also being a major flop in the Canadian Football League, where he won a championship backing up Doug Flutie. Now, I'm trying to think. who. Well, I think he was with the Lions. Yeah, I think the Lions picked him, and that was a big mistake. Anyway, uh, take a little sip of the old water here. And switch gears to baseball. Three-time World Series champion, 200-game winner John Lester is retiring. Is he a Hall of Famer? Think about this. He won three World Series. He's a 200-game winner. 16-year career at 38 years old, told ESPN his body just isn't up for the rigors of another season. He made 30 or more starts 12 times and 28 during his final season split between the Nationals and the Cardinals. Five all-star appearances, a 2.51 postseason earned run average. Uh, Lester says, it's kind of run its course. It's getting harder for me physically. The little things that come up throughout the year turned into bigger things that hinder your performance. He has a legacy of postseason success, won two World Series titles with the Red Sox, 07 and 13, had a third one with the Cubs in 16, breaking that 108-year title drought. Says, I remember the nervous feeling I had before game four of the series in 07. I remember standing on the mound in game five against St. Louis in 13 in a tie series, and a paper airplane got thrown from the upper deck, and we all watched it. It landed right behind the mound, and I still remember looking at that. Those are some great memories, really, out there on the World Series mound. One of only nine modern lefties with 200 wins, a 600 winning percentage, and a career ERA under four. Six of the other eight are in the Hall of Fame. The other one, C.C. Sabathia, is not eligible yet. 
back pain, sent Lester to the hospital several years ago, and they diagnosed, with, diagnosed him with anaplastic large T-cell lymphoma. He had to have chemotherapy, but came back to the team midway through 2007. He started a charity called NVRQT, which is short for Never Quit, which helps fundraise for pediatric cancer research. He will continue with the foundation in his retirement. So good luck in retirement to John Lester. There was talk that the Braves should be looking at him to sign him as a free agent uh, to come in and help solidify the starting rotation. Uh, By the way, MLB uh, owners and uh, the Players Union are supposed to sit down tomorrow, Thursday, somewhere. The owners are supposed to set down their basic plan for the money. So we'll see. That's not even talking about the DH in the National League, Universal, stuff like that. Right now we're just talking about the money. So we'll see how long it takes. Uh, Spring training starts in about a month and a half. So we'll see. The Orioles, meanwhile, are moving their left field wall back as much as 30 feet in certain parts. They're going to make Oriole Park more pitcher-friendly. Uh, I think uh, Camden Yards has been the easiest place to hit a home run the last few years. A lot of people think it's Coors Field in Denver or some other place. No, it is Camden Yards, and it's mainly that left field to me has always seemed like a minor league distance. So they're going to move it back a little bit. It's not like they need the seats. If you've ever seen an Orioles game lately, there's like 5,000 people there, and that's about it, and that's sad. And that's because they have an owner who's like – one of the world's richest Marxists. (laughs) I mean, when you're a friend of Fidel Castro, come on. Uh, That guy should have been forced to sell the team quite a while ago because, frankly, he's run a great franchise into the ground. They're back to being the old St. Louis Browns right now. They're a laughingstock. They're they're a a minor league team for other teams like the Yankees or whatever. The, The old Kansas City A's is what they become. And that is sad. They've got the best young catcher coming up in the minor leagues, the Rushman guy. I think maybe he'll even be here this season if they play. Uh, that guy's going to be special. So they got the, that center fielder that played so well last year. Uh, so I think they're on their way up. But it's still two or three years away from really competing. And it's really sad how Major League Baseball has allowed the Pirates with that beautiful stadium and Orioles with that beautiful stadium. They've really done the fans a disservice by letting those two teams become minor league teams. And uh, it's a shame. And the what's going on in Miami as well. I don't know if Jeter's going to be able to turn it around too much, but uh, that's a sh- there's no way baseball should fail in Miami with all the people who love baseball there. It's just absolute joke. And what's going on in Tampa Bay? Hell, Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred is an abject joke right now. Except for the Braves winning. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Elmer Flick. Elmer Harrison Flick, inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1963, played mainly for the Indians, was a right fielder. In 1891, a 15-year-old Elmer Flick went down to the train station to give his hometown semi-pro baseball team in Bedford, Ohio, a send-off to say goodbye to his friends, the people he grew up with. They were going off to play baseball. With a train ready to leave and only eight players showed up, someone said, Elmer, Get on the train with us. Despite being barefoot, no luggage. I mean, how does he? Okay, this is 1891. You jump on the train and you leave. How does your family know where you are? Where did Elmer go? It's not like he can pick up a cell phone and call them. What does he do? Uh, Did they have phones in Bedford, Ohio in 1891? Was he able to call them when he got to the next station and say, I'm not coming home? That's kind of ballsy. He jumped on the train 
and into the Hall of Fame. He was born January 11th. That's right. He was born yesterday. One of the reasons I'm doing this. In 1876, he was a catcher at high school, but uh, started playing uh, pro ball in Youngstown, Ohio in 1896. It was my first game. I hit a ninth inning homer with one on to win two to one. That's when they first started calling me Elmer Flick, the demon of the stick. That's a pretty good nickname. After one season in the minor leagues, Flick was brought up to the Phillies in 1898. He was expected to come off the bench because they had a pretty veteran outfield. Flick is going to make the outfielders hustle to hold their position, said Frank Francis Richter, a Philadelphia sports writer. He's the fastest and most promising youngster the Phillies have ever had. In April, the future Hall of Fame outfielder Sam Thompson went down with an injury. Flick entered the game, got two hits, and began a 13-year career. In four full seasons with the Phillies, he hit 338, a career-best 367 in 1900. Following the 01 season, he was one of several National League players who jumped to the year-old American League, appeared in 11 games for the Philadelphia Athletics, but was prohibited from playing any more when the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that any players under contract to the Phils could not play for another team. Flick, however, along with teammate and future Hall of Famer Nap Lajua, circumvented the order by signing with the American League's Cleveland Naps. The court order could not be enforced outside of Pennsylvania, so Flick and Lajua were uh, eligible for the games, and <laughs> except when Cleveland traveled to Philly. During those games, Flick and Lajua took a paid vacation. Now, why did they name them the Nats before Nap got there? I don't know if that's so true, but anyway. Flick played the rest of his career in Cleveland, led the league in stolen bases twice and triples three times, won the batting title in 1905. Then he got sick. It slowed his career down for two or three seasons. He played his last two seasons of pro ball in Toledo. Uh, he finished his major league career with 1,752 hits, 268 doubles, 164 triples, 330 stolen bases, and elected to the Hall of Fame in 1963. He was 87 years old at that time, the oldest living player to earn enshrinement in Cooperstown. He passed away January 9th in 1971. So he got to enjoy it for eight years there that he was in the Hall of Fame. And you look at the numbers, the numbers aren't great, but he was playing in a time that I guess they figured that uh, he should be there. Elmer Flick, the demon of the stick. On this day, January 12th, 1946, the NFL champs Cleveland Rams were given permission to move to L.A. I asked this question a couple days ago about something that happened in 1952. I didn't know if they had moved from Cleveland yet to L.A. Well, obviously they had because they got permission in 1946. In 1969, Super Bowl III in the Orange Bowl, uh, the Jets beat the Colts, shocked everybody except Joe Namath, 16 to 7, Namath the most valuable player. 1975 Super Bowl 9 in Tulane Stadium before the Superdome was built. The Steelers beat the Vikings 16 to 6. The MVP was Franco Harris, the running back for Pittsburgh. 1995, the murder trial of O.J. Simpson began in L.A. How'd that He's still in prison. 1995, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, the Almond Brothers Band, Al Green. This may be the greatest except for maybe when the Beatles and Stones went in. This may be the greatest class of all time. Almond Brothers, Al Green, Janis Joplin, Led Zeppelin, Martha and the Vandellas, Neil Young, Frank Zappa, and Paul Ackerman. Beat that lineup. I don't know who went in with the Beatles or the Stones, but that's pretty damn good. Or the who, uh, whatever. Oh, by the way, why am I mentioning this during the sports? Because the British person who puts this list together also 
has the Orioles musical group going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You may not have heard of them. The Orioles were a big group back in the day. Long, long day. And uh, the idiot British guy thinks the Orioles are the Baltimore Orioles, the baseball team, so we put it in the sports thing. 2015 College Football National Championship at, in Arlington, Texas. Number four, Ohio State beat number two, Oregon, 42-20. to 20. I forgot about that game. Birthdays on this day, January 12th, 18th. Now, wait a minute here. Today's the 12th. Okay, I hope I got the right. If I don't have the right date here, that's my problem. Okay, we got Elmer Flick with two birthdays now. The 11th and the 12th. So, you know, it was 1870s. Who knows? Uh, 1890, Max Carey was born, Hall of Fame outfielder, won a World Series in 1925. He was a nationally stolen base leader for the Pirates. He also played for the Brooklyn Robins. He also managed the Dodgers of Brooklyn, born in Terre Haute, Indiana, died in 1976. In 1912, Linwood Thomas Schoolboy Rowe. We mentioned him the other day, baseball pitcher for the Tigers, born in Waco, uh, died in 1961. 1923, Carol Shelby. Race car driver, automobile designer, and businessman, and uh, designer of the Shelby Mustang. They made that movie, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I've yet to see that movie. I really want to see that. He uh, died in 2012. In 1952, Ben Crenshaw was born. Uh, golfer, won the U.S. Masters in 84 and 95, born in Austin. 1957, Daryl Dawkins, uh, center for the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. Came right out of high school. Also for the New Jersey Nets, he uh, broke the backboard. <laughs> Remember, he was one of the first ones to do that, if not the first one. Born in Orlando, he died, though, seven years ago. Unfortunately, uh, other people died on this day. In 2000, Bob Lemon, Hall of Fame pitcher, a right-hander, all-star in the 40s and 50s, won a World Series in 48 for Cleveland, had a no-hitter that year, too, uh, managed the Royals and the White Sox. Won a World Series for the Yankees in 78 as the manager. Dead at the age of 79. Uh, let's see. Weddings on this day in 1976. NBA player Pete Maravich was 27. We married his college sweetheart, Jackie Elliser, in Metairie, Louisiana. All right, let's go to uh, da, 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 da. what else we got? Pete's tweets. That's right, we're doing here. Uh, let's see. Pete's tweet. Okay. Uh, what's one of the. Um, Dudes on ESPN's Get Up, one of the Ryan boys. I can't keep Rex and Rob apart. I think it was Rex. But anyway, he was talking about how Judge should be fired from the Giants. Joe Judge is the only head coach in New York Giants history to lose six straight games by double digits. Uh, the Falcons' home games next season, it's already out. They will have nine home games, three divisions, something like that. They will host the Browns, the Steelers. Well, that'll be all Pittsburgh in there. Uh, 49ers, Cardinals, Chargers. You get to see Justin Herbert and the Bears. Uh, road games, eight road games. They're going to travel to Cincinnati, Baltimore, uh, L.A. to play the Rams, Seattle, and uh, the Washington, whatever they're calling themselves this year. Uh, let's see. Thanks to John Fricke of uh, 929 The Game for posting that on Twitter. Let's see. NFL memes. This is a pretty good one. No one in human history has ever sent a text message a text message about the Bengals winning a playoff game. That's a good thing in a bar bet. And you say, okay, give me a number and you can you can get between you can come within one thousand of this number. 
I want a number of how many people texted about the Bengals winning a playoff game. People say maybe 10,000 people did, 20,000, you know, 100,000, whatever. The answer is zero. The Bengals' last playoff win was 1991. The first text message was sent in 1992. Good way to win some money. All I'm saying. What else we got here? Um, somebody posted the front of Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And I didn't, I, I'm looking at it, and it didn't hit me, but it hit Andrew. He says, that stadium looks like a Kroger. And he's absolutely correct. The front of it looks like a big-ass Kroger. <laughs> uh, let's see. Everybody's still making fun of that Georgia band guy with the alien creature mask on his face where you couldn't see anything congratulations to reese of uh i don't know if her name's rutledge uh laura rutledge espn uh just super uh, person laura rutledge one of the best things they have on that network i love the fact they use her on nfl and college because she's so great on both uh her little daughter reese was picking games this year and she'd have reese and little girls what two years old she would run up and grab a helmet she was 14-3 and three this year. If you bet with Reese Rutledge, I don't know if that's her last name, uh, baby Reese, you would have won money all year, 14-3. and three. She picked Georgia. Uh, Adam, let's, Adam Schefter saying, Jamison Williams of Bama, he's the top receiver in this year's draft who tore his ACL. The doctors say uh, he's going to have surgery in the next few days. He will keep his sub 4.3 speed, and they expect a full recovery. Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer, noticed Georgia won. Every sports team has a nemesis, that opponent that can seem impossible to beat. For the Red Sox in 03, it was the Yankees. Congratulations, Georgia football, for beating your nemesis. Even Pedro Martinez took notice. Uh, let's see. Austin Cart reports the Georgia-Alabama title game averaged 22.6 million viewers across ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU. Up big from the record low of 18.7 million for Bama-Ohio State last year, but still the second lowest since the college football playoff started in 2015. Yet they're not going to change anything. I mean, they're just complete abject idiots is what they are. Excluding 2021. Georgia-Bama is the least-watched title game since 2005 when Southern Cal played Oklahoma. And that's a national game. You had Oklahoma in the Midwest-South region playing against a West Coast team. That, I mean, that should have drawn a lot of viewers, right? Not really. And, of course, Bama playing Georgia, it's two states right next to each other. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's 227 days until college football is back. Mark that down, according to Fox College Football. Let's see. Uh, quote of the day from Stan Musial. Unless you give it all you got, there isn't any sense in playing. Hmm. Peter Van Nostren had made a good point. Bama fans did not want to hear about Buckeyes losing their top two running backs, quarterback playing banged up, and 16 players on COVID list last year. They're now clinging to, we lost our receivers. And Tim Brando said, so very true. Okay, that's true, Bama fans. When Ohio State was saying last year they were undermanned, and they were, you didn't want to hear it. So we don't want to hear anything about uh, receivers being down. You should, have the, you should have more depth than anybody. What's the use of being number one recruiting every year if you well, – anyway. Not picking on you, Alabama. Totally respect what you've done. 
Uh, Jimmy Fallon wrote, holy hot damn, the last time Georgia won the national title, Jimmy Carter was in the White House. And now they win again 40 years later, and Jimmy Carter's in the White House. <laughs> Quote of the day. Uh, NCAA has decided athletes <clears throat> who had the China virus will be considered fully vaccinated. In the new guidelines, somebody is finally waking up. Uh, Fox College Football, Joel Klatt works for them, and he has put together a list of his top five quarterback prospects coming up in the draft. He's got number one, Ole Miss's Matt Corral. I disagree. I think Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh is a better NFL fit than Corral is. Corral uses his feet a lot. Corral throws his body into the mix a lot, and that's not going to work in the NFL. Whereas Kenny Pickett, <clears throat> when he's not cheating, when he's acting like he's going down when he doesn't, uh, good old Kenny is more of a of an NFL-type quarterback. But we'll see. He's got Matt Corral, number one, then Pickett, then Sam Howell of North Carolina, Malik Willis of uh, – of, um, sorry, uh, gosh darn it, Hugh Freeze, Liberty, and uh, Desmond Ritter of Louisville. All right, then. Ritter looks like a, another version of uh, Lamar Jackson. To me, of course, they both went to the same school. That's what reminds me. Mike Puma writes for the New York Post, uh, said that Keith Hernandez's number 17 will be retired July 9th for the Mets. Mm, what else we got here? Da, 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 da. We always said that. All right, College Football High put out total wins over the past five seasons in the Atlantic Coast Conference in football. Number one, of course, is Clemson with 61 wins. Number two, might surprise you, North Carolina State, 39. But look at that difference, 61 to 39. Miami's got 38. Then Wake Forest with 38, so they're tied. Then Pittsburgh with 37. Virginia and Virginia Tech are tied at 34 each. Wow, who would ever thought that would happen? Boston College at 32. Louisville, 28. Florida State, 26. They're 10th in the ACC. And this is the last five seasons. Then you have uh, North Carolina at 26. Duke and Syracuse tied at 25. And bringing up the rear, Georgia Tech has only 21 wins, total wins over the last five seasons. As someone pointed out, and that's counting two seasons under Paul Johnson. And someone said, well, Jeff Collins can recruit, but he can't coach a lick. And then uh, David tweeted me earlier <laughs> And, it, and this is total deflection mode. I mean, he's, this is like Democrat deflection mode. He says, yeah, now do all the millionaires that come out of Georgia Tech. And I wrote back, what has that got to do with the football team? Maybe if they're so smart at Georgia Tech and they make all those millions, maybe they can turn some of that IQ toward getting a winning football team again. You know, everyone bitched him on Paul Johnson. I liked watching Paul Johnson's teams. I like that. I like that offense. It brings me back to my youth. That's why I watch all the Army, Navy, and Air Force games. I love that. By the way, when is Space Force going to get its football team? When's the Coast Guard going to get their football team? Why is why are they getting screwed? They could play in space on the moon. Space Force. That's a home field advantage right there. Just the gravity alone and the lack of air. Because they're going to train them to breathe without air up on the moon in the Space Force. But anyway, so Georgia Tech fans, are, you know, and that may be true. You may have more millionaires per capita than Georgia does. But we're talking, it's a sports tweet account. We're talking sports here. We're not talking about millionaires. So you just, you know, don't get your dander up. 
But, you know, he's defending his school, and that's what you do. Sad news, uh, Tampa Bay's bullpen catcher, bullpen catcher Gene Ramirez has passed away. He was just 28 years old. As of right now, I do not know the cause of death. Um, someone put out an embarrassing question yesterday. said, what was the first 45 single or LP you bought with your own money? <sighs> Sitting outside the car. My mother was inside shopping south to Cab Mall. She was in the riches getting something or pennies or whatever. And I was wanting to buy a record, a single, but I didn't because I was real, I was a cheap ass when I was a kid. I didn't want to, I pinched every penny, but I knew I had enough money to go in and buy, I got a dollar and I could buy a record. Which one? And I was, my grandmother was in the car and I said, Mamma, can I go inside while mom's inside and grab me a record? And she said, sure, go ahead, but hurry. So I went in there and you have this whole rack and it's riches selling records. And you got this whole rack. And the one single I put, now this is early 70s, remember. There was probably a George Harrison or Paul McCartney record in there. A Led Zeppelin, a Rolling Stones, The Who. I mean, all the great bands at the time. And the first single I bought that I laid my money down was Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, I probably still have it somewhere. Sundown by Gore, which by the way was about a whore. If my grandmother knew that I had bought, <laughs> I mean, she was pretty progressive for her time, but come on, I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, that's not it here. That's not it here. No, that's not it. We already talked about that. Oh, Dog Post pointed this out today. SEC Shorts, which does all the fantastic. Uh, little videos making fun of the Southeastern Conference. Well, of course, they've got one up about Georgia winning the national title. And it's kind of bittersweet because Georgia won and he's all happy. But his longtime girlfriend, his paramour, his, his love of his life, Hope, is leaving him. And it's bittersweet. It's really well done. It's, it's sweet. She's so cute, by the way. But uh, says Dog Post says, y'all, Hope has dumped the Georgia Bulldogs at the Dogs Win It All. And, uh, but don't, don't be afraid, Georgia fans. Watch it. It's, it's good. It's got a good ending, so you won't go away sad. It's, it's really good. And it's not laugh hysterical like the ones in the past usually are. Like I said, it's bittersweet, but it makes a very good point. And they do such a good job, those guys over in girls in Birmingham, but doing stuff like this. Anyway, this date in baseball history, 1961, January 12th, the Cubs named Charlie Grimm and Rube Walker to the team's College of Coaches. They're going to have a rotating manager. They finished 64 and 90, which actually is an improvement over the year before when they uh, won only 59 games, the worst mark in franchise history. They finished in ninth place. Six games behind the expansion club, the Houston Colt 45s. <laughs> 1972, Tigers owner John Fetzer surprises everyone, saying the team has signed a 40-year lease to build a multi-sport stadium west of Cobo Hall along the Detroit River. It's going to cost $126,000. It's going to be a domed complex for everything, baseball, football, whatever you want. They do not get the funding. It's never completed because they were building the Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan, which to this date in my life is the worst place I've ever been to watch a football game. 
Uh, I believe it isn't still. Someone told me it's still there, and it's basically in total disrepair, and it's like an old Roman ruin. They should film horror films there. Or a, if you want to film an apocalyptic, uh, horrible, dystopian future film, that's the place to do it if it's still there. Otherwise, just go down to Detroit. 1981, on January 12th, Gaylord Perry, 11 wins shy of 300, signs a one-year deal with the Braves for 300000 The 42-year-old future Hall of Famer goes 8-9, and nine, uh, posting a 3.96 ERA for the fifth-place Braves. So he doesn't quite get to 300 that year for the Braves. 1983, Orioles legend and perennial gold glover Brooks Robinson becomes the 14th player elected to the Hall of Fame in his first year. They also pick uh, Juan Marichal, uh, the all-time winningest pitcher for Latin America at the time with 243 victories. It was his third attempt to get on there. He should have gone in there in number one, to tell you the truth. 1988, Willie Stargell played his entire 21-year career with the Pirates, the only person elected to the Hall of Fame that year. Uh, nine writers submitted blank ballots, which denied Jim Bunning in there, but he got in later, I believe. 1994, in his first year on the ballot, Steve Carlton got 95.6% of the votes. Who the hell left him off? Of course, he was kind of a jerk to the writers, so now you know. The only player to be elected to the Hall of Fame uh, by the BBWAA. The only player elected to the Hall of Fame by the BBWAA. Well, how can that be? I don't know. Anyway, 24-year veteran, uh, played 15 seasons with the Phillies, one of the worst trades of all time. Uh, the Cardinals trading him. They could have had Steve Carlton and Bob Gibson, boom, boom, together. That's like Drysdale and Koufax. Boy, what idiots they did. Uh, they didn't like his attitude, so they traded him for Rick Wise, who was a good pitcher but not a Hall of Famer. Uh, Carlton won 329 games, got four Cy Young Awards in the 70s and 80s. January 12, 2009, Ricky Henderson in his first year of eligibility, and Jim Rice, in his final year on the ballot, elected to the Hall of Fame. Hmm. Uh, Henderson goes in as an A, uh, Oakland A, game's all-time stolen base leader. Rice spent his entire 16-year career with the Red Sox, batted 298, was a dominant player in his era. And when he and Lynn first came up, I thought they were both Hall of Famers, and at the end, it was just uh, Rice uh, that was in there. But gosh, he was so. I wish the Braves had him so many times over the years. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, uh, Let's see. Uh, Dominique Wilkins, 62nd birthday. Steve Holman tweeting that out. Happy birthday, Dominique Wilkins. Excellent there. Well, let's see what else we got. Uh, I don't see a lot of sports stuff. Jumping out there. Ronald Acuna, uh, they're showing him taking some batting practice. And uh, he looks uh, like he's getting back. Total wins over the past five seasons in the Big 12, according to College Football Hype. The winner, of course, is Oklahoma with 56. Number two is Oklahoma State with 45. And you go to the very bottom here, you got Kansas with only nine wins over the past, total wins over the past five seasons. Wow. Let's, Let's see. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No, we already talked about that. Uh, Michelle Tafoya is going to do the Super Bowl for NBC, and that's going to be it. She's going to move on to do other things. Some people say it's got something to do with how she feels about working at NBC. I don't know if it has anything to do with the China virus vaccines or, or treatments or whatever they want to call them these days. Uh, uh, John Mara, owner of the Giants, says he still believes there's a really good head coach inside of Joe Judge. <clears throat> What, did he, did he eat him? 
maybe cut him open and see if he can let that guy out. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Hmm. Not seeing anything else jumping out. We talked about John Lester. Anyway, uh, have a good day. We've done three of these in a row. I guess that's why my voice is starting to give out. I usually don't do three in a row. But uh, take tomorrow off, and I'll be back on Friday. Everybody, have a great day out there, and drink up Shriners. <laughs>